Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks. Thank you so very much for joining us here on February the 13th, 2024. We are one day away. One day away from pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training in Northport, Florida for the Atlanta Braves. Football season's over. I hate it. I already miss it. But I miss college football. I don't think I'll miss NFL football. We just complain about NFL football around here. College football we miss all the time, of course, but football's over with now. We don't have any Pro Bowl. We don't have any games here directly. We have spring football coming. We have free agency in a month for the NFL. We have we have free agency for college football every damn day. <laughs> you know, We have the draft coming up in two and a half months. So, for the most part, it's time to talk a little baseball. Basketball, too. We'll tell you what happened last night with the Hawks. And then uh, talk about some of the college games, of course, that are coming up as well. But for the most part, um, it's kind of time to talk baseball. Now, it, it's slow, right? Today's slow day. Slow day, really. But with tomorrow being the day that pitchers and catchers report, uh, I have to admit I am kind of in the in the baseball spirit. Marshmutt re- reminds me on Twitter, when is the discussion of who would have been Andy's best choice of a girlfriend? My vote is on Nurse Peggy. So if you're wondering what the heck that's all about, uh, yesterday on the show, how did that come up, Chris? I was talking about slow people in left lanes. Oh, I was I had Andy Griffith show on TV, right? Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, I had I had so Andy Griffith show was on TV and it was oh it was the episode when Aunt V uh, oh it was about Clara it was calling Clara a troublemaker really you know and every everybody has that you know the Gladys Kravitz of the world the you know like the church lady on Saturday Night Live someone who pokes her nose into everybody's business they want to know who doesn't have money who has money who's boinking who. Just a nosy, know-it-all neighbor. We all we all have encountered those kind of people before, right? Well, and so I was watching this episode of the Andy Griffith Show while I was doing the show. I mean, I wasn't really listening to it. It was just on. And it was the episode where Aunt B was encouraged by Clara because Clara made this bull crap up that Aunt B was in the way of Andy and his love life with Helen, which was stupid, and it was a recycled storyline because they had done it a few seasons earlier when Clara tried to get um, um, Aunt B hooked up with the cleaners guy, um, Mr. Um, oh, crap, what's his name? What's his name, Chris? You, you don't, well, you're not a big Andy Griffith aficionado. I haven't seen it, and uh, ever since 13, uh, took it off. Okay. Well, you're working between 5.30 and 6 now, doofus. 
Yeah, so I really can't see it at all. <laughs> so uh, you're saying before they took it off, you were watching it instead of paying attention to the show? No, 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 uh-huh. no, 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 no. Uh-huh. Yeah. When I would be off those days, before I was working full-time. <laughs> okay. All right. Good cover, Chris. I like that. <laughs> no, um, was it Foss Poss? Well, one of you Andy Griffith people tell me who I'm thinking about. He's the cleaners. He's the guy at the cleaners who's got a, a, a cigarette hanging out of his mouth all the time, and the ashes are falling on the newly clean clothes. Anyway, Clara tried to hook him up with Aunt B because she tried to act like that Aunt B was in the way of Andy getting the love life going. And then a couple years later, no, it wasn't Foley. Foley, Foley was the was the guy at the market. I'm talking about the cleaners guy. Foley, Foley was the one who actually married Rose, who was the the Fred Goss. Thank you, Jay. There you go, Fred Goss. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember what if Fred Goss was his name, and and he was pretty gross, and he had a cigarette hanging out, and yeah, he was at the cleaners. Yeah, no, Foley, Mr. Foley was the guy who in the first episode married Rose, who had been the housekeeper and who raised Opie after Opie's mom died. And that Rose married Mr. Foley. Rose disappeared later on, and it was just Mr. Foley, because if you remember, and this episode was on yesterday too, Mr. Foley... Back in 1946, got into a fight with Floyd the Barber, and they all started punching everybody when Barney started creating trouble. But Clara was probably behind that crap, too. But anyway, so we developed a conversation from this because so many people around here love the Andy Griffith Show. And yes, we, we I think we need to have later on today a discussion of Andy's best girl. Now I, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for Ellie. I like Nurse Peggy, but you know, Ellie, we want Ellie, we want Ellie had it going on too now. Ellie was from Father Knows Best, of course, Eleanor Donahue. But so anyway, that's what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> People turning in like, what the hell is he talking about? Well that's it. Because, and so today on TV Land at 4 o'clock. It's Opie Flunk's Arithmetic, which is stupid. And then uh, this is the end of the fifth season. Then uh, Opie and the Carnival, when those two carnival thieves had the uh, gun thing bent, and Andy said, I'm going to throw you in jail if you don't let this kid win. And then the banjo playing deputy, which was dick van dyke's brother and then um it's the new housekeeper so it's the they start over thank god because i what i was saying was those colored versions are absolutely horrible like number one harold uh, um, howard sprague is in those colored versions and he's awful the the guy who was the um you know after floyd died not on the show, but in real life. And they had that guy who fixed everything. What was his name? He was awful. Goober was okay. I like Goober. Jughead. I like Goober. He was fine, you know, because Gomer went off to the Marines, which is, if you believe that story. But anyway, 
Goober, I like Goober. Goober is funny. But, you know, Howard Sprague was awful. He was pathetically bad. You know, then they had the, the Barney replacement in season six who was awful. He was, oh, my God. That that poor guy had no ch- chance, right? That was that was awful. And then the, um, of course, toward the end is when Sam came on and they started the transition to Mayberry RFD. But those colored versions of the Andy Griffith show were awful. They recycled people. And how many times did Sam the Butcher from the Brady Bunch appear on the Andy Griffith show? How many times did we see Alan Melville, what has his name, Melvin, Alan Melvin, I believe, who was later on All in the Family. But how many different characters was he on the Andy Griffith show? He was the guy on the side of the road selling fruit that Barney had to run off. He was the guy that wanted to kill Barney, and Barney put a whooping ass on him. Well, it really wasn't Barney. It was the his karate instructor, right? It was, I mean, he was on like every year, like unbelievable. But anyway, we're, we were just having fun with that yesterday. So later on, we can ask the question of who should have been Andy's wife because nobody in the history of the world likes Helen. Well, that's not true. Eddie formerly of Macon said yesterday that he liked Helen. But, you know, that's Tifton working on him a little bit. I'm just kidding, Tipton. I love you down there. Um, we hadn't heard our guy from Ty Ty call up lately. We need him to call back up. He, he hadn't called up recently. Um, let's see, from from Twitter, J-Rad, got to be Peg. Ellie was cute, but Peg was a trooper. <laughs> yes, Peg was a trooper. She was rich, and Barney tried to upset that apple cart. Anyway. Um, yeah, talking about Alan Melville, who's always a villain. Yeah, he, he was, but he was good. He was he was really, really good. So anyway, we'll have fun with that, too, later on. And people are uh, – Ken from Coming, uh, at least we're not talking about the Braves. Yeah, you wait, big boy. It's fixing to. Uh, uh, Jay, uh, Jay reminded me, Foley's name in the first episode was Wilbur Pine when he married Rose. Okay, you're right, Jay. And, you know, I didn't like that. They should have kept these people who they were. It's like, because I always thought that Foley was the one who married Rose. And if you remember in the Who Wants Ellie episode in season one later on, Foley and, and Rose are out there because she was rooting for Ellie and Foley or Wilbur Pine was not. They should have kept them on there. By the way, Rose was later in an episode of the Brady Bunch. These stupid facts of television history, because, God, if I got Chris Rogers involved, he would be worse than I was. He can recite these dumb things that nobody cares about anyway. But, yeah, Mr. Foley was yeah, – I like Mr. Foley. Mr. Foley was the guy who, when Aunt B bought all those damn pieces of meat from the traveling meat show – had to take it all in for her because she had bought that cheap meat, and then Andy had to get on to her and said, call the man about the daggum freezer that you busted, Aunt B. And you know what? Claire was probably behind all that crap, too. But anyway, sorry <laughs> if you don't like the Andy Griffith show and we're boring you to death, but we kind of got on that tangent yesterday. All right, I am going to talk about the Braves, Ken, from coming. I don't care whether you like it or not. Too bad. 
But I'm also going to talk about the I'm also going to talk about the the uh, National League in general because um, our boy Jorge Soler signed a contract last night with the San Francisco Giants. And I say our boy because he'll always be our boy, won't he? I love Jorge Soler. I want to tell you, now, I'm not like a lot of you, and I'm on. I'm not on. I'm not on Marcel Ledbetter Ozuna's case all the time. Because I, I knew he had it in him to do what he did last year. I did. I, I, I rooted for that guy to hit 40 home runs and drive in 100. And I'm glad he did, and he helped a great deal. No question about it. But let me tell you, um, Jorge Soler, I mean, how can you not love Jorge Soler? He hit a ball out of the damn stadium in Game 6 of the World Series. I mean, really, come on. Jorge Soler is like a legend in my mind. He is. I mean, he, you know, he, he's... He's this Cuban player who came to the Cubs and hit a ton of home runs. Then he went to the Royals and he hit a bunch of home runs. Got traded to Atlanta for nothing. I mean, they got they got Jorge Soler for nothing when you look back on it. Nothing. All those players they gave up. They gave up nothing for all those guys there. And poor old Alex couldn't even win the Executive of the Year award. I gave him hell about that one time. I'm like, why did you? What did you do to not get the Executive of the Year award when you made six trades in two weeks and got your team a World Series championship? And he just laughed it off. But I'm like, come on, give me a break. Because he'll never do anything better than he did those two weeks, and yet he hasn't even won the Executive of the Year award while he's a member of the Atlanta Braves front office, which is stupid. Six straight, six straight division titles, and Alex can't win him a. Uh, uh, Executive of the Year award. So anyway, but I love Jorge Soler, and he signed a three-year contract for forty-two million dollars, which is fourteen million a year, with the San Francisco Giants uh, early this morning, overnight. And I'm happy for him, and I, I kind of like the Giants because they're my girlfriend team. Because I sure don't like the Dodgers, Ken, from coming. So my team in the National League West is the Giants, especially now they got that weirdo Gabe Kapler out of the way. I really like – I've always liked the Giants because I got – I think I've told this story before, but when I was a kid, we would go from Waycross and go before a game and go to the visiting team's hotel to get autographs. We first did this – I don't even know how it started. We first did this in like 1980 when the Dodgers were in Atlanta. And believe it or not, Ken from Cumming, I, I, and I think I've showed him some of those pictures, but anyway – I got my picture made and autographed with Don Sutton and Steve Garvey and Ron Say and Davey Lopes and even Time Lasorda, who I hated. And um, it was a lot of fun. So every time we would go up and go get autographs at the visiting team hotel. And in 1984, I did it with the Giants, and I got Frank Robinson's autograph, which is just unbelievable. It's just it's it's the best story. It's the best story I have, to be honest with you. And you may think it's boring, but I don't care. It's my story. I'm sticking to it. But Frank Robinson did not sign autographs a lot. He was Frank Robinson, you know, and he was a manager, obviously. And he had had the career as an unbelievable player, Hall of Fame player. Then he became a manager with Cleveland, and then San Francisco was his second job. So in 1984, he was the manager of the Giants. And they were in Atlanta. They were not very good. They had Atley Hammerker and Mike Kruko and Bob Brindley. Um, they had Manny Trio on that team, Steve Nicosia. 
and Dwayne Kuyper, Jeffrey Leonard. Yeah, I had some good players. But anyway, we just got, went up there early on Sunday and got some autographs. And so Frank Robinson was standing at the kind of the concierge table. And there were some autograph hounds, you know, some of those guys who are overaged and overweight and looking to sell stuff on whatever that were trying to get his autograph. And he kept on saying no. And I remember telling my mom, man, I, I want to go. I want Frank Robinson's autograph. That's Frank Robinson. You know, that's Frank Robinson. I mean, I knew who he was at 14. He was Frank Robinson. And so she said, well, why don't you just go over there and ask him? All he could say is no. And so I did. And he, and he gave me his autograph. Because I think he knew I was a kid that really wanted his autograph. And I got Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper and several other players to sign. And the only thing I had to sign was a loose-leaf notebook. I didn't have my autograph book. I lost it or something. I had gotten a bunch of autographs with the Dodgers a couple years earlier. But I I had only a loose-leaf notebook. So I had this page in this loose-leaf notebook of frank robinson's autograph well i lost it for like 15 years and when i moved in 2011 i i really thought i had lost it and i'm like wow there were two things i had thought i really lost and i'm like man that stinks you know and then about 10 years ago about three or four years after i moved into my home i found it and i about cried now i want to tell you that was like that was emotional for me to find that thing because it meant a lot to me you know it was frank robinson's autograph and I'm not going to sell that thing in no way. I've got it framed now. But, I mean, it meant a lot to me because of the fact that he told this fat, overweight guy who was trying to, you know, do stuff probably to sell it, no, and yet he told me yes. He gave me his autograph, and that, that meant a lot to me. I mean, that story in itself is pretty cool, I think, because Frank Robinson was not – he was a gruff old guy. You know, he just – he had been through a lot, and I think he was just gruff and – and, you know, a lot of those older players, they didn't like those autograph hounds who would hang around like that. I mean, I would never do that now at 53. I, there ain't no way. I mean, I enjoyed it as a kid. I'll get an autograph once in a while of somebody, you know, old that, I, heck, I probably know them by now, but I don't really do. I mean, when Ron Reed last year came to Macon for the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame, I didn't watch Ron Reed with the Braves growing up because he was before I started watching the Braves. But, I mean, I got my picture with him, and I got my autograph. I got his autograph with it, you know, and that meant a lot to me. But I don't really do autographs like that anymore. I don't go to the hotels and do all that crap. That's I just don't do that anymore. I got out of that mode. But when I was a kid, it meant a lot to me. So that Frank Robinson autograph was cool. So that they became, the Giants became, his story goes, my girlfriend team. So, when I want to cheat on the Braves, I go to my girlfriend team. But the last couple of years, it wasn't very fun because Gabe Kapler, I mean, I'm sorry, but any major league manager does not need to be using moisturizer. And Gabe Kapler, well, so anyway, um, Jorge Soler signed with the Giants last night. I think it's a really good signing for the Giants because the Giants, they – have uh, brought in the Jung Ho Lee player from Japan, who's supposed to be very good. Now they've signed Solaire. They have brought in um, Robbie Ray as a trade uh, trade um, um, traded player to San Francisco. He won't be ready until probably the later latter part of the year. He could be a really big part 
of their rotation later in the year, however. They signed Jordan Hicks, and they're going to make him a starting pitcher. And then they also um, added Amir Garrett the other day for the bullpen. So the Giants are going to be an improved team. And, of course, I want the Giants to win the West just so the Dodgers won't. And I don't know if you saw the video yesterday of Shohei Otani in the batting cage with the Dodgers showing off like he's Mr. Hotty Dotty Dotty. And he is. He's a he's an unbelievable talent. I can't deny it. I'm trying to make fun of him because I can. But I mean, I my God, he's unbelievable. And I hate that they got him. I really wish he would have gone to Toronto. But he didn't. He went to the Dodgers. And the Dodgers are going to be very good. We know the Dodgers are going to be great. I mean, they look, they brought in Tyler Glass now for their rotation. They signed James Paxton. I like both of those pitchers a lot. They both throw hard. They brought in Yoshinobu Yamamoto for the rotation, who's going to be unbelievable. Walker Buehler is going to be back this year at some point, obviously. Bobby Miller, the young pitcher, who was pretty good last year. I mean, they, they've, they're going to have a great team. I think the Braves are still a better team than they are 1 through 26. I really do because I, I love this Braves team on paper. But the Dodgers are going to be great. They're, they're going to be a really good team. And, and Arizona, obviously, they've brought in Eugenio Suarez for third base. They have brought in Eduardo Rodriguez for their rotation as well. And they also um, – you know, it brought in a couple other players, and they're going to have Paul Seawald for the whole year. He was the one they got from Seattle that I really wanted Atlanta to get before the trade deadline last year that uh, Arizona got instead. But Arizona's going to be good again. I mean, they, they had an unbelievable story last year, 84 wins, and, and made it to the World Series, of course. But still, it was like, you know, um, for them to do it, not the Dodgers, was worth the price of admission, for crying out loud. And... Arizona's going to be a good team. So was the Do- so are the Dodgers. So are the Giants. I don't really think the Rockies are going to be very good. And I, I think I don't know about San Diego. I mean, obviously they've had to they've had to go through a lot of change by not re-signing Snell, bringing in some new pitchers. They um, traded Soto, of course. So I don't know about San Diego, but the Giants with. With Jorge Soler, it's a very interesting team. And, of course, they do have a better manager now with Bob Melvin taking over for Mr. Moisturizer. Because I'm sorry, even in – well, I'm not really sorry. I don't, I don't know why I said that but because I'm not sorry. But I don't give a damn in today's politically correct world, which I'm not a part of. I don't want no major league manager using moisturizer. And Gabe Kapler is no longer the Giants manager and Bob Melvin, who's a true man, is is the manager. So anyway, that was a big deal last night, and uh, that's going to make the National League West, I think, even more more interesting. We're going to take a break, come back. We'll talk a little bit more baseball. Then we'll talk some basketball. Uh, and again, tomorrow, pitchers and catchers report to spring training in Northport, Florida. Most of them are already there, right? I mean, I don't even have to ask, ask that question. Hey, is everybody there? Most people are come in early. And a lot of these teams have, have been in for the last couple of days, late last week. I mean, Brian Snicker got there last Wednesday, so he's been there a week. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're, people are coming in, and a lot of those guys, they start getting there even after February 1st in Northport, mainly because, you know, they can, they can rent a place for all of February and all of March, and therefore they're there. So it's like, well, why not go? And a lot of them are in – colder temperatures so they're like well heck i'd rather you know i'm sure ian anderson for example 
he's coming back for Tommy John. He's probably not a very good example, but Ian's from New York, you know, with all the snow on the ground now, he doesn't want to be there. He's probably been there in Florida for, for a while. So, um, but still, the day pitchers and catchers report's always fun, and that's tomorrow. We'll take a break, come back, more sports talk here. I'm Bill Shanks. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Bill Shanks. This is the Bill Shanks Show. Now, back to the Bill Shanks Show on the Superstations. They've just been showing on MLB Network. I flipped over there during the break. They've just been showing Jorge Soler and, of course, some of his mammoth home runs and the lineup that San Francisco will now have for the upcoming season with Soler now hitting fourth. Remember, Brandon Crawford's going to be gone from there as uh, the longtime veteran of the Giants was a free agent. It's not coming back. He's not been signed by anyone, but there's no question Giants look like a better lineup with Jorge Soler in there. One thing that I think is kind of interesting as we get to spring training with all these teams, obviously the first thing the Braves always think about is the is the division. I know that comes under criticism sometimes from people who say, well, they got to worry about the World Series. They don't need to worry about the division. But I think I've always agreed with Bobby Cox and and also Brian Snicker's philosophy that the division is important to win, to get yourself in position to try to be able to win the World Series in 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 October. I mean, obviously in. 2021, the Braves only won 88 games. They won the division. It was not a very good division that year. And the Braves were able to come back and win it over the Mets, which they've done a lot in their history. And last year, of course, they won 104 games. It was one of the best seasons, second best regular season in the history of Braves baseball. They won the division and won all those games, but it didn't matter. They got cold at the wrong time. And they were out pretty quick in the in the playoff series, four games to the Phillies, and it and it still kind of stings. The last two years after winning the World Series, as the Braves did in 2021, it, the last two years have have stung. I mean, you've lost the same team, you've lost in the same number of games. You know, it's just not been what you've wanted to have happen. But I don't think you can say, well, if they hadn't won the division, that wouldn't have been a problem. Well, uh, that has nothing to do with it. I think winning the division is still very important. Of course, the thing that's different a little bit now is that because the schedule is more balanced, you don't have 18 games against these teams in your division, thankfully, which was too much. You have only 12 at home and 12 um, – um, well, really, no. You really have – yeah, you have – that's what it is, isn't it, 12 and 12? No, that's not right. I'm sorry. You have 12 overall. You have six games – at home, six games on the road, maybe 13, maybe seven, rather. I'm getting my numbers mixed up. You only have two series at home and two series on the road with each of your division opponents. So 12 or 13 games against your division opponents compared to 18 or 19 as you had in the past. But I think it's still worthwhile to try to see, all right, what are you going to do inside your division? Now, the Phillies are continuing to be an Achilles heel for the Braves. There's no doubt about it. And and I don't think anybody – well, I shouldn't say that. I, I think there are going to be some people who are still going to give the Phillies the advantage even in the division. But I, I think it's different when you try to 
try to predict what's going to happen in the division compared to a best-of-five series. Best-of-five series, the Phillies are one of the most dangerous teams in baseball, mainly because they have Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. And those two pitchers, along with Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker, who wasn't even a part of the deal last year in October. But, I mean, when you have two guys like Wheeler and Nola, that's a big deal. That's why the Braves went out and got who they got with Chris Sale to make their rotation a little bit deeper in the postseason. But over the course of a six-month season, I think it's still very simple, really, to say the Braves are going to be the division winner. Number one, New York, the Mets have not done anything to knock your socks off this year. And I, I think I think it's – even with what they've done, obviously, to bring in uh, David Stearns as the new um, – president of baseball operations from Milwaukee, I think that they have made it pretty clear that they're going to try to be as competitive as they can. they got a new manager, Carlos Mendoza, but they are also kind of in a transition year. And, of course, the biggest storyline for the Mets all spring and all season is going to be the fact that um, their first baseman, Pete Alonso, is in a contract year, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be coming back to the Mets for the long term. And whether it's him going to Chicago, and I think they ought to trade him to Chicago right now, to be honest with you, because the Cubs need a first baseman, or or somewhere else, Alonzo's going to going to be leaving. And so this is a transition year for the Mets. They've really not made many additions to their team. They have brought in Harrison Bader as another outfielder. They have brought in a couple of starting pitchers, Louis Severino, the former Yankee, and Sean Manaya the former San Francisco Giants pitcher. He was also with Kansas City and Oakland. They traded for Adrian Hauser, a pitcher from the Brewers. They have brought in several relievers, including the old brave Michael Tonkin, who's now with the Mets, uh, Shintaro Fujiami, and Jake Diekman. brought back Adam Adovino, and, of course, they get back Edwin Diaz from his injury that he had in spring training last year in the WBC, the torn ACL. But the Mets don't look like a very threatening team on, on paper compared to going into the season in the last couple of years where we thought the Mets were going to be more of a threat. Now, I'm not saying the Mets are going to fall back to a 70-win team or anything, but I think on paper right now they look more like a 500-win team. And again, this time last year, you know, they had Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer in the rotation, and this year they don't. <laughs> There's a lot. There's many more questions about the rotation for New York than even having those two old guys in there a year ago. Phillies have really not done a whole lot either. And maybe the Phillies thought they didn't really need to. They really haven't changed anything on their starting lineup. They have, of course, re-signed Aaron Nola, which was big for them. They signed Spencer Turnbull, former Detroit starting pitcher, a couple of days ago. He's got an option left, though. He's probably going to start the year in AAA, and he's – coming off Tommy John surgery, and they really haven't added much to the bullpen except for, well, they traded for Michael Rucker. That's about all, and and I think it's been a little bit of a surprise, and a lot of people think that the Phillies could still be a team that could be in the mix for someone like a, a Blake Snell or a Jordan Montgomery, uh, one of the starting pitchers who is still on the market, even with spring training getting ready to come. Uh, People are kind of wondering, could Philadelphia strike and, and bring someone else in? Washington is still rebuilding. You know, they 
are, are, are wanting to see their young players. I mean, they brought in some transitional position players, Joey Gallo to be first at first base, Nixon Sell to play third base. They brought in Jesse Winker on a minor league deal just yesterday. It's another outfield possibility. Um, they really haven't done much to their pitching staff at all. And, of course, they've got a lot of young talent that they are going to be bringing up. Uh, the Dylan Cruz kid, of course, from LSU is going to be up at some point soon to be part of their infield, and he's going to be a, an outstanding player for Washington. So the, the the Nationals are still kind of in a little bit of, a, of their rebuilding phase, and they hope to try to – make improvements this year Miami is kind of in a in a weird area uh, they lost Jorge Soler which was obviously um, something that was expected as far as their 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 position players they've only added former brave catcher Christian Bethancourt to their team their pitching staff their rotations pretty much the same they traded uh, their their left ear lever to the Twins just the other day, and that was Stephen Okert uh, for Nick Gordon, who's kind of a utility guy and all-around player. And um, they haven't really made a whole lot of changes. So I don't think the the Marlins are a team that looks like, wow, they're going to be challenging the Braves or anything. And, of course, things could change. Young players could come up for Washington and Miami perhaps and make them a little bit more competitive than we think. But my point of all this is the Braves' division – it's still theirs. I, I I just, you know, and we'll see the teams as they get into camp, but I, I don't see any reason why the Braves should not be the overwhelming favorites in this division. Phillies will be a, 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 a very good team. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, I don't think the Phillies are going to win this division. Phillies may beat the Braves again in the playoffs for all we know, but I, from game one to 162, the Braves have – have a great team. Look, Chris Sale, I think a lot of people are going to say in spring training when they talk about their kind of wild cards for the year, Chris Sale could be a wild card for this Atlanta Braves team. And we always go into a season thinking, well, if this happens and that happens, look out. Well, if the Braves stay relatively healthy in their pitching staff, look out. I mean, this this pitching staff could be unbelievable. And, and I am – Really excited about the possibility of Chris Sale being healthy, Max Fried being healthy, Charlie Morton doing what Charlie's done for the last three years, and someone, whether it's Bryce Elder, A.J. smith Shalver, Huascari Noah, Reynaldo Lopez, taking that fifth starter's job and running with it. And whoever doesn't win that fifth starter's job is going to go to that bullpen, and the bullpen has been even more reinforced than before with the addition of Aaron Bummer, the return of of Joe Jimenez and Pierce Johnson, and like I said, the chance that uh, Reynaldo Lopez could go back in that bullpen. I mean, if, if that were to happen, th- this bullpen is going to be unbelievable, truly unbelievable. And and when you think about Iglesias as the closer, A.J. Minter as the left-handed specialist, Aaron Bummer, Dylan Lee, Tyler Matzik is the other three lefties. Joe Jimenez, Pierce Johnson, and maybe Ranaldo Lopez going in. There's the right-handed pitchers in the bullpen. It's crazy. I mean, it's truly crazy what the Braves, on paper now, which is February 13, that's all we can do. On paper, it's truly incredible what I think they've assembled here. 
I'm excited as hell about it. I mean, I'm a pitching guy. I don't think we. I don't think anybody has to worry about hitters. And I know the Braves cannot be expected to hit. Somebody said this on the show yesterday, and they're 100% right. I know the Braves cannot be expected to hit the same amount that they hit last year, to score the same amount of runs they scored last year. That that may be impossible. But if this pitching staff is healthier and better, because you got to remember now, last year the Braves won 104 games, and Bryce Elder really had to become their number three starting pitcher. A guy who was sent out in mid-March had to become their number three starting pitcher. And that that was truly incredible. And, you know, Bryce takes a lot of heat because he ran out of gas and obviously he had never pitched before uh, with over 137 innings and it was a rough go for him. But, I mean, he saved their bacon. <laughs> he really did because Max was gone for a significant amount of time and so was Kyle Wright. And, you know, you had, what was it, 34 wins from 2022 that was all of a sudden out for most of the year. And Bryce Elder had to step up, and he did so well the first half of the season, he went to the All-Star game. So that that that's unbelievable that that happened. But if the Braves have better luck this year than they had a year ago with this rotation and with Chris Sale or Reynaldo Lopez or someone coming back like a Huascar Enoa or later on down the road Ian Anderson or Bryce Elder just coming back and being better this year, I mean, I think the sky's the limit for this team. Our, our, our man Dan from New Jersey, who I hope will call at some point soon here, uh, called up last year, and, you know, he was very sincere in saying, Bill, I think the Braves are going to win 111 games. And, I, I I mean, I thought he was serious. There was no question in my mind that he was serious. I thought he was a little high with his number, but I totally understood where his optimism was. I think he saw the potential for this offense and – you know what, if they hadn't had injuries to that pitching staff to Kyle Wright and Max Freed, that team might have won 111 games. They really might have. So this year, Max is back. Chris Sale's been added. Charlie's back again to do his thing. And it's like, well, now how many games could they win? Well, it's kind of fun to think about, to be honest with you. We'll take a break, come back. We'll talk a little basketball. The Hawks played last night. We'll talk about that and more as we continue on this Tuesday, right after this. Now, back to the Bill Shank Show on the Superstations. 13 minutes before the top of the hour. Thanks very much for joining us. So, I've come to the conclusion that when it comes to the NBA, if you miss a game and you want to know what happened, you can simply go to the shooting percentages to figure it out. Last night, the Chicago Bulls beat the Atlanta Hawks 136 to 126. Hawks fall to 24 and 30 on their season. While the Bulls are now 26 and 28, they are two games up on Atlanta in the Eastern Conference standings. Atlanta is still 10th. They're 10 two games up on their 11th place team and two games back of the 9th place team, so they're pretty set right now in 10th place. I only saw parts of this game, not all of it. I, I usually see more of the Hawks games or listen to more. I didn't see as much last night. But the 
parts I did see, the the Bulls were kind of pulling away, and they they made their shots, <laughs> and it was kind of uh, kind of ridiculous. And you go to the the box score, and you see well, three point shooting. Chicago made forty six point four percent of their three pointers. Atlanta thirty two point six. They were fourteen percent better. Field goal percentage. Chicago 55.4% successful, Atlanta 46.8. You know, we we came out this year with Quinn Snyder as the new head coach for the Hawks, and he said pretty loudly, I want my team to shoot more three-pointers. Well, I mean, if you think about it, that's not a bad idea. If you can successfully shoot more three-pointers, you're going to score more points. We are obviously in a pissing contest when it comes to the NBA now. Where you just got to score points, you got to outscore people. Defense is not even part of this game anymore. The Hawks, luckily for the Hawks, they don't play defense anyway, so it's not a real big deal. Well, it is because if they can't outshoot the competition, they're up the creek. I mean, that's basically the whole situation with the Atlanta Hawks right now. If they can't cannot outshoot the competition, they're up the creek. I would love to know. How many times this year the Hawks have been uh, have had the opponent have a higher shooting percentage, and the Hawks have not won that game, uh, or or rather, I guess the Hawks have won that game. So, how many? In other words, how many times have the Hawks been outshot but still won? Well, I don't think that's going to be very high, to be honest with you. And last night was a prime example. Demar Derozan last night had. 29 points. Uh, Vucevic, the former Orlando center, had 24 points, 11 rebounds. And this Dosunami, or or Ayo Dosunmo, uh, and I apologize for butchering this because I really don't know this kid very much. I saw him last night and like, wow, this kid's playing pretty well. He had his career high, 29 points. D-O-S-U Dosunmo, Dosunmo. And he was a second-round pick of the Bulls out of Illinois. So, boy, he's making some uh, fans up there. But he started, played 39 minutes. He was 5 for 7 from three-point territory. Scored 29 points to co-lead the Bulls. And they won by 10. Atlanta had two people off the bench score over 20. Bogdanovich, who was 6 for 10 from three-point territory, had 28 DeAndre Hunter, who was 4 for 7 from 3-point territory, had 23. Trey had only 19. He was 3 for 14 from the field, which is awful. Not for his 11 free throws. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have done squat. And again, you can almost look at the Hawks and say, well, if Trey has a bad day scoring, you're in trouble. Murray only had 17, so when those two only score 36, it's not good. Jalen Johnson had 13 points and 8 rebounds. Sadiq Bay 11 points, five rebounds, and a Congo in for Capella, who's missed five games now. A Congo had 11 points and 12 rebounds for Atlanta. So the Hawks lost again. They they had been on a little bit of a, a winning streak, and now they they have um, have lost a game. So they are still six games under 500. This was a a week that I think we kind of circle on our calendar is a week they could make up some ground here 
Chicago, that was a big deal for them to win that game because now they have the tiebreaker over Atlanta. If these two teams should should finish in a tie, Chicago would get the edge because of their winning percentage over the Hawks this year. And they're close. I mean, Chicago two games up on Atlanta in the Eastern Conference standings. They have Charlotte tomorrow night. The Hawks do. Charlotte has not been very good this year, and and they are kind of tearing their team down, getting a new general manager. Um, Steve Clifford, the coach there, he'll have them ready. Bob Rathbun said that last night, but for the most part, the Hawks should win that game because the. I think Bob said last night, I don't even know who's going to start for Charlotte because they have made a lot of trades and kind of pared their team down with Gordon Hayward and and P.J. Washington gone, so that's going to be a different Charlotte team tomorrow when the Hawks play them. And, um, and then they play Toronto, and Toronto also getting rid of, of uh, Pascal Siakam and OG. Uh, that, that's a different team too. So the Hawks have an opportunity here the next couple of days on Wednesday and Friday to make up some ground and to get that record back closer to 500. It would be nice if they finished at 500. Obviously, they were um, a 500 team a year ago at 41 and 41 and you know they they just become a 500 team in general they were four games over 500 two years ago and i think that's about what we expect of all of them but right now they're not a 500 team they're below 500 they're six games below and they need to string some wins together again to try to get over that hump georgia tech will play uh, tomorrow at notre dame at seven o'clock and, of course, the Dogs do not play uh, until Saturday against Florida at 1 o'clock for college basketball. Both Georgia and Georgia Tech really struggling. Georgia 4-7 and seven in the SEC. Georgia Tech 3-10 and 10 as they have uh, just been, they've been struggling. Georgia's lost five in a row. Georgia Tech's lost 11 of their last 13, all in conference play, of course. And we are close to college baseball season. Of course, we were talking about the Braves and the pitchers and catchers reporting to camp coming up tomorrow officially with the first workout on Thursday. But don't forget, college baseball, they're already working out. And Georgia will open their season on Friday at 3 against UNC Asheville at Foley Field. And Georgia Tech will open their season the same day at 4 o'clock against Radford up at Russ Chandler Stadium. they got a big, long name for that, but it'll always be Russ Chandler Stadium to me. So college baseball is um, starting up too soon as well, which, you know, compared to yesterday when it was cold and rainy all day, when it's a little bit, a little chilly out there, but been blue skies all day, it uh, makes you kind of get in the mode for some college baseball. And, of course, we'll have the Georgia baseball games on all fall here, or all fall, all spring, I should say, <laughs> all spring uh, on all of our frequencies except for Brunswick and Blackshear. So we look forward to that with, of course, David Johnston and our own Jeff Dansler. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show.